Welcome to Weird Sounds, an audio companion to the Boston Art Book Fair and Boston Center for the Arts. I'm your host, Oliver Mack. And I'm also your host, Randy Hopkins. Oliver and I are the co-founders of the Boston Art Book Fair, which has brought us into contact with an incredible array of artists and creative thinkers. We want to share some of these conversations with you. And that's exactly why we started Weird Sounds, as a podcast to document the ways that people are making art all around us these days. We have so many questions for artists because we love hearing about the ideas and images, inspirations and aspirations behind their practices. And we know you will too. Welcome to Season 2 of Weird Sounds, an audio companion to the Boston Art Book Fair. My name is Oliver Mack, and my co-host is Randy Hopkins. We've both been independent art curators in Boston for quite a long time, and have organized the Boston Art Book Fair with the BCA and Bodega since 2017. If you've been to our annual art event or NASA's campus recently, you may have ran into a giant inflatable sculpture that you can explore or interact with. Well, that's the work of Newhouse, a Rhode Island-based design studio exploring the intersection of architecture, furniture, sculpture, and related material sciences. Randy and I are excited to share our conversation with Augie of Newhouse, who started as an artist at RISD, experimenting with trash bags. Newhouse uses an iterative and scientific method as artists to create public works that are unique and functional. Let's listen to the conversation. Well, Augie, thanks for joining us. It's been incredible to work with you through the Boston Arctic Fair almost every year. I think Newhouse has done an installation there since... 2018. Is that correct, Randy? Yeah. Every year since we moved us into the cyclo. So you've been a huge part of the Boston Art Book Fair and we thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us. Such a beautiful space there. The other thing is, is like, there's no one else who does anything close to what you do that I, I haven't been able to find a competitor. So, so <laughs> how, how did this come about? How did Newhouse start? Yeah. So Newhouse actually started as a thesis project between Matt and I, who went to school at RISD together. Uh, We were both in the furniture department, and we were seniors all have to do their department projects, and it's usually an individual has to submit one idea. And I think I was working on a furniture series that had to do with some nomadic traveling circus performer, and Matt was really interested in active seating so seating that like isn't rigid it's sort of sort of like a yoga ball chair if that if that, that's under the genre of active seating and um under no uh, during during winter session before we had to submit like our final idea for our thesis uh we made a a, a pop-up museum space for a group at school for no class or anything we just thought it would be fun some people approached us because matt had made an inflatable out of trash bags freshman year and they were interested in having a, a gallery space that wasn't tied to any specific major like graphic design industrial design furniture but they wanted to own it themselves and be able to pop it up whenever they wanted and so over the course of two weeks in like the middle of the winter we made this big igloo like dome by welding with a hot hot clothing iron like painters plastic and afterwards it was a really big success and everyone loved it but we had just had this moment where we made this very large thing that none of us had really thought about at all and we really 
liked how people interacted with it. And we decided to work together after that to just focus on making inflatables for our thesis project, more in the context of furniture. But I think because it was such a big project, we were sort of looking at how inflatables could help bridge this gap we saw between architecture and sort of the rigidity and immovability of architecture and sort of the tactility of furniture. Like you, you pick stuff up, you move it around. And um, yeah, so that was like the initial spark was this kind of random fun project for no class or anything that got us really excited about the medium of inflatables. And it, it kind of kicked off our whole love and interest for it after we graduated. Yeah, there's there's lots of little little bits that kept us going in as like as a studio, but I think the the initial spark was this thesis project. That's super cool. I want I'm going to slow us down for a second. I always have so many questions come to mind, but let's do a proper introduction too for everybody. Say your name and what your role is at Newhouse, and then and tell us a little bit about Newhouse in your own. Um, words and then you co-founded this with matt and levi right that yes. you guys are kind of yes. the group so because i just was reading you and matt come out of furniture and levi's more of the architecture i don't know i just kind of want to curious about the cast of characters that is new house yeah i should have rounded out by finishing it to where we started at new house but i'm august larica you can call me augie and i think the in terms of roles uh that's certainly evolved over the years. But in general, now I handle a lot of the design and modeling of, of the pieces that we make um, on the digital side. So like, I do a lot of the computer modeling and sort of preparing um, the experiences that we're talking about on paper to be fabricated and sort of unrolled, cut out because inflatables are kind of a Sort of, you have to plan everything out pretty, pretty ahead of time. So, my role at Newhouse is very much on the design and ideation, and sort of working with Matt and Levi to sort of bounce ideas back and forth until we can get to something that we can eventually make and fabricate in our studio. But that's certainly evolved to this point. I'd say in the beginning, um, it's harder to delineate our roles because we we started off all doing the design work, all doing the sewing, all doing the cutting, all doing the marketing. And it was very natural from that perspective. But I think, yeah, we kind of have slowly over time this delineated roles between ourselves. So that's probably a, a confusing way to answer that question. <laughs> but um, currently, that's what I do. How big is the team now? Uh, there's four of us, four full-time people. So we, we, we have another artist, Stavely Kuzminoff, who's joined us, who also, she has a background in, uh, textiles and she studied at RISD, um, and finished a little bit after us. I'm not sure the exact year, but she's come onto the team and really helped us with our production and fabrication. And then we have another part-time employee, Emily Shinata, who helps us with more grant writing and proposals. So 4.5. Uh, it's just cool to get a picture of that because I think I whatever, what you do is pretty unique. It's clearly very unique and just kind of curious. We always are how creative people figure out a way to have an interesting livelihood, just like what the operations. I mean, you've had to put a lot together. I mean, that's a small team to do the amount of work that you do and stuff like that. Sounds like you have a really cool organization. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely we're. We're slowly evolving over time. I think what 
what made us a bit special is that we we didn't really have an idea of you know what direction per se we were going when we graduated so levi joined he actually went to high school with matt so that's how they knew each other they grew (laughs) up in ohio and um after matt and i finished our thesis and graduated we were wondering what we're going to do and we had this inflatable thing going on and um, matt told levi about it and we all just kind of agreed that we would move into a warehouse together and try and you know keep making inflatables but we didn't really know it would be something that would be as sustainable as it is today so i guess that's that's sort of the finishing origin story is is that after we graduated we all kind of just came together under one roof and we had a few projects out of school that kind of got us started but we all bring our own expertise our own interests and i think that's what makes it really interesting most of the time because some it's almost like a band like where some ideas will be started by one member but it'll be passed through everybody else and then on the other side you get the the final project the scale of the the sculpture that you're, you're you guys create is gigantic so does that mean the warehouse that you've uh, inhabited is is it just as large or when you test things out do you have to move it to another space yeah so we currently have a very, a very large uh, studio space in east providence about 5000 square feet and it's big enough for us to you know produce everything i mean some of the time the roof is too short but sometimes we have to take things outside to test them but right now it's 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 plenty for our purposes and then we it everything packs down super small so we we can store everything pretty easily but yeah we we do have a, a large space out in east providence and we we do we we have like an office space off of it that we do a lot of our design and modeling and then we have sort of a large very difficult to heat space where we do most of our sewing and cutting and and welding. So what's the uh, what's the process like from when I guess uh, is it usually clients approach you to design something for like public art or for 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 whatever whatever purpose but uh what do you how do you guys approach each problem? Yeah, so typically we'll be approached we're we're kind of lucky in the sense that uh, our work kind of advertises itself in like cuz it just pops up and it's outside and someone walking by we'll see it. So in the beginning, we kind of got by with just word of mouth and people passing by local to Providence. But now it's it's mostly like somebody will approach us, a city, municipality, a, a, a festival, a, a book fair, and they'll be interested in either something we've made that that we have in our, our fleet and they want to rent it, or they're more interested in our just sort of design process and might be interested in something new that we can make for a specific uh, context. So it's kind of varied. Like in the, in the beginning, we kind of got by by just designing a lot of our own work and the client could pay just for materials. And as a result, we would keep the structure afterwards. So we kind of fell into this rental kind of bouncy castle rental business, but in a more fun way because we had more creative freedom because the the client was typically just paying for materials and we could make mostly whatever we wanted. Is that still true? Do you mostly get to keep what, or do you usually just give something to someone for a short-term use on it? Yeah, I'd say a majority of our our sort of installs come from rentals, which is just like a piece that we've designed for a specific event that Mm -hmm. then we get to keep afterwards. And so I think we've probably installed the street seats at Boston Art 
fair, book fair a couple of times. And that was actually initiated by a, the Providence I-95 redevelopment program. They wanted mm-hmm. some public seating for the grand opening of this new park. And so they had a budget for that one one-time event and that we designed a lot of the first street seats for. And then we sort of developed the system of fabricating and making them. And they were so successful that we were able to sort of rent them out. And obviously we've made new ones since then, but I think a majority of the time it's, it's a, we'll be commissioned to do something for a a big event and we'll, we'll kind of keep it afterwards. That's not to say we haven't sold things, but it's, it's much less than the, the work that we've produced ourselves. I think a majority of the things we sell are more, pure fabrication jobs. So a candy crush will come to us and commission us to make some small inflatable candies. And that's not stuff we publish, but it's the <laughs> stuff that we, we sell. <laughs> Whoa, those sound cool. <laughs> Actually, I think we found you through music festival because uh, it was maybe Breck one from Red Bull. He's a DJ as well. And he, he knows what is, uh, where's Nasty out of Providence? And he does uh-huh. day trill out there. And I think that's where we found you through those, my, my little DJ network. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we've been doing day trail for many years now. Has this work taken you to other music festivals across the country, across the world? Yeah, um, I, we've been mostly across the country. I just got back from Arizona a few weeks ago. Um, we drove uh, the city of Peoria commissioned us basically all the pieces that we had available. So we got a box truck and drove it out there. We've been to Burning Man. We've been to Montreal for a music festival. It's, it's funny. We've done a lot of music festivals, but for me, it's like kind of, they all kind of collapse because it's, it's music festivals are some of the more stressful events because that's when you get the, the real test of, of your, your structure. Cause the people there are very rowdy. Um, but um, yeah, we've, we've, We've gone all over the country and more recently, some, some out of the country. That's, I don't even want to ask this, but so have you had any mishaps? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've definitely had mishaps and it, that's kind of part of our, our learning process as we were starting out too, because I think when, when we began, we were kind of very wide eyed about inflatables in general and thought they could solve a lot of problems for just general temporary installations. Uh, but we also wanted to be really experimental. So I think sometimes we would do these really experimental pieces for a music festival per se and weather and wind and all these things kind of are factors, but we've, we've had a few, nothing terrible, like nothing, no one's been hurt because inflatables are amazing because they're all soft, but we've had, we've had some scarring experience. Um, One I can think of was a, we did a festival out in Texas where we, we made a dome out of like 400 beach balls. And basically the, the, it's super strong when everything's really inflated, but because all of the beach balls are separately inflated and if the temperature drops, <laughs> air will slowly like shrink inside the balls. And we had this, this moment where a, a, a gale, like it, the weather was looking good and it was really hot. And then like in 20 minutes, the temperature dropped 20 degrees and the wind picked up. So we had a, a pretty big, uh, it looked like a dandelion almost, like all these beach balls like flowing into the air. But it was a music <laughs> festival, so people thought it was on purpose. They were all like, woo, yeah, beach ball. But yeah, it was hor- horrifying for us. But, yeah. 
Definitely, definitely failures. I probably shouldn't be talking about most of them, but <laughs> it's a learning process. <laughs> I mean, we're so cautious even at the book fair, like, but to see for us, like it's such a community activity. People sit on there, you see friends huddle together. You see people just like by themselves reading, which is just like so perfect. You see kids climbing on them and stuff like that. It's, I don't know. It's, it's, they're so, so nice. But I think the book fair audience must be very well behaved compared to <laughs> some of your other venues. Yeah. It, it, it's our ideal venue. To be perfectly <laughs> honest. I mean, we nice, don't quiet people. <laughs> yeah. We have a, we have sort of a sixth sense now of like how, how, how rowdy people will be depending on the client. Oh it's always a pleasure to do the book fair. <laughs> That's wild. Actually, the street seats are one of the few that can take it. And, and that's actually something that it's taken a while to get to a point where we can make something with confidence and put it in art book fair or put it in a music festival and kind of not be really stressed the whole time it's up. So I just wanted to say that uh, you, you guys chose well, too, in terms of durability. <laughs> so you're, you're one of the few studios that can work with that range, but also work with NASA, though. Yeah. So I think something that, that makes us kind of unique and right off the bat was something that was really important to us is just the, the craft of the inflatables themselves is something that like we didn't want to outsource any of the production. We wanted to do everything in house because the producing each project taught us so much about, you know, the different techniques involved with making inflatables. So I think the reason we can have that range of client clients is that, you know, we have 10 years of experience of really just experimenting, but at a public scale, and I think, you know, we've gotten to a point where our craft is high enough that we're able to do project work for NASA, but also, you know, make durable, you know, sh seats that that we're not worried about in the public setting. So, for example, like the 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 street seats are actually welded with a tool that is it's the same tool that they use to make dinghies. So for like emergency boats, like rafts and or like really high end um, inflatable boats. And I, I'm, I might be going out on the limb to saying we're pro probably one of the only art studios to own one of those machines, but yeah, that, that, that's really important to us. Like we're always looking for new tools, new methods, new techniques that will further our ability to make new experiences. And I think that lets us also work for more high end clients like NASA. Has, has that changed a lot over the period that you've been working? Have you watched technology in your materials or in your tools change? Has there been a, a big shift? I'm, there probably is. I mean, the materials have always been out there. I think it's more access to them. So mm -hmm. in the beginning, we were you know buying painter's tarp from Home Depot and using hot irons. Um, mm -hmm. But that taught us a lot about basic structure. And now we're you know, buying rolls of coated fabric from different suppliers and testing them for different properties. So we've, we've, we have a collection built up that, you know, you have super thick materials that can be really durable, but they're very heavy. And there's super light materials that, you know, could make a really big uh, spanning roof or something, but it's taken a while to, to have enough projects where we can purchase the material and then be able to play with them later. So yeah, it, it's, the materials we've had access to have evolved over time from cheap plastic to nice textiles. <laughs> yeah, from garbage bags. Wasn't that what you yeah, said one of your first? Exactly. I love it. <laughs> the first ones were garbage bags. Amazing. <laughs>
That's pretty amazing that you've been able to, uh, for the past decade, keep on creating sculptures just for whoever is interested in your work and you haven't had to go out and I guess kind of just uh, sell it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, still counting my lucky stars on that. I mean, I think social media has really changed that a bit for us. I, I think when we were still in school, we didn't like, I think our senior year when we did our thesis was when we got an Instagram and we're posting stuff online. So not only are the pieces themselves usually in public spaces, but I think it's easier to market yourself now with a lot of social media, mm. but yeah, we haven't had to do more classic like marketing in, in the capital M marketing, I guess. Are there any artists that are reaching out to you to, for, to collaborate on larger pieces that would be part their vision and part yours? Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, I don't think we've had like a, a split sort of part part their vision, part ours more than a lot of, we've had a lot of requests from artists or different places that want us to produce the thing. And I think it's always an interesting balance because we, we have a, our own creative work that we like to push forward with clients or with, without clients in, in our own time. And it's taken us a while to sort of develop these techniques, but we'll, we'll, we, we have done like produced work for other artists. Um, just because we have the tools and skills to do it. But I'd, I'd say it's, we haven't done a, a, a true from the ground up collaboration as of yet. There's, there's certain project we've, we've done as, as collaborations. Like, um, we have, a art piece right now. That's a collaboration between us and this, a friend of ours who, who runs bike powered events. So it's a bike powered inflatable <laughs> and sort of like you, you pedal to inflate this canopy, this inflated canopy. And we've also done a bunch of collaborations with another, uh, studio smooth technology who do a lot of like light programming. And so we're starting to experiment with embedding lights inside of inflatables. So there's sort of collaborations in, in those aspects, but, um, yeah, I, I, if your question was more just like if an, uh, if an individual artist has approached us, we haven't really done, we, we've, pr we've produced work for other artists, but not necessarily as a collaboration. But I guess it's kind of a bad question because Newhouse itself is already a collaboration between the artists themselves. So you're, you're kind of an artist collective <laughs> working that way to produce these things. Yeah, no, that, that, that is true. <laughs> I didn't even think about it at that level, but yeah. So you're you're mainly the one behind the design of the pieces at this point, right? Where where do you find inspiration from? So we're still at a point where if if we're coming up with a new idea, we're we're going to the drawing table as a studio. We're all kind of sketching around a table, and yeah, my role is really just once we have that hand sketch, bringing it into something that we can start to play with and tweak and see in a bit more higher resolution. But we we get our inspiration from a lot of places. I'd say. More often than not, like the natural world is something that, that we're really inspired by. Um, like we just finished a proposal for colorful installation. That's it's kind of built off of the subtractive color system. So using a bunch of cyan, magenta, and yellow panels, uh, reflective panels, we, we were playing with how the colored reflections will create red, blue, and green in them. Um, so I, I think... We, we really like to use just basic 
modes of perception in our work as like a, it's almost like a middle ground, but when we're all talking about what we want to explore or what we want to do, it, it usually typically falls back to something like that's very basic, something like the visual perception of color or some optical effect or yeah, or, or something found in nature, like the movement of a sea anemone. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it comes, it's very different based off of each project, but I'd say more often than not, it, 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 it comes back to the senses and just sort of trying to play with something that we can, we can play with people's perception of something using inflatables, if that makes any sense. I feel no, like that, that, that comes across really well in the work you make, because when I look at it, I, I'm reminded of prim, like the primitives of, you know, cell structure, membranes, uh, these things in the, that create the natural world. But also, yeah, the, it makes a lot of sense that you're also playing with how people see and even optics. Yeah, I, I think when we when we first started out, we we're just amazed by how we kind of viewed inflatables as the the simplest way to create a space. Like you don't need to even the dimension of a two by four, you know, has has a lot of thickness to it. But with inflatables, you're really just dividing space with a, a sheet, the width of a or the thickness of a piece of paper. And so I think because you can do that really at a large scale, but also add different properties to it, like it could block light, it could let light in. It could let colored light in, it could let variable light in, and just sort of once you have this quick and easy way to create space, there's a lot of different ways that you can play with that to sort of create physical parameters that like challenge people's perspectives. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I mean, cause it's also, and it is, it's like, all, it's embodied in that way. I mean, optics and, and sort of more cogitative perception, but also really physical perception, what you know of your own body and also just interacting with it physically. You have so many levels. And it's soft. It's, it's something that I feel like when you're interacting with something that has to do with optics or something, it's usually like a camera or a touch screen. And I think we've done a project called the compound camera where it's like a bunch of pinhole cameras projecting onto an inflated surface. And you can actually change the focal length by just distorting the inflatable or like pushing on it. And I think there's, there's just so much there to play with because I think people's, when they see them, they don't really see them as these, as challenging anything more than just maybe being a bouncy castle, (laughs) but in a way that plays to our favor because there's not many art forms that people want to run and jump onto immediately. You know, they kind of are skeptical at first and then they get into it. But with inflatables, it's they're it kind of already has their barriers down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's familiar on multiple levels and therefore it invites people. And, and it, sometimes it goes the other way too, where people just will treat it like a bouncy castle, but we're like, <laughs> Oh no, wait, please look, observe the colors. or something. <laughs> I was looking at the NASA product. We're really, we're really interested in the outer space aspects of your, uh, of your work. Mm. I don't know, but what you say makes me think of that too. Cause that also, I was just reading what they, what you just, how you describe that. I wanted to be able to use this phrase geodesic geometries. Cause I, I think you think of what you're doing as very mathematical and geometric, and the, but it's, it's all about curviness too. And I think that's very cool. Sort of not quite a paradox, but something cool about that. Yeah. I mean, so inflatables can't really exist as flat planes. The only reason they 
have structure is through their curvature. So uh, a lot of the design around them has to do with sort of designing structures that are always circular in cross-section. Um, so this geodesic geometries or just these curvilinear surfaces are actually just quite inherent to the properties of inflatables. And that's something that is super inspiring to us that we've just been, you know, learning as we built these things. But I think it's, yeah, it's, it's exciting because when we started out, we kind of had to get to know this through trial and error. But, um, like if you imagine just making a square block, like with, with rectangular sides, when you inflate it, it's going to become like a, a bulgy kind of square with pinched corners or something. So, I mean, that probably doesn't answer your question, but, um, the, the geodesic geometries and curvilinear shapes are actually quite necessary in designing the inflatables. Yeah. When you design them, are, what, uh, what programs are you using? Um, we're using Rhino and Grasshopper. Rhino is sort of a, a NURBS modeling program. And then Grasshopper, it's like an add-on that you can use to make the models parametric. So that's really helpful when you're you know, working on a team and you want to change the diameter of something and then see how that affects the overall design. Uh, but yeah, Rhino and Grasshopper are mainly the softwares for the 3D modeling. And then within that, you're just you're able to figure out how to, I guess, deconstruct the, the the larger shape into these small panels that need to be welded together. Yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, there's you do the overall shape, and then you kind of have to break it down into parts that are unrollable, um, and then you also have to kind of keep track of each part and label, you know, which piece goes to what piece. Because when we're making these things, it's pretty much just a a pile of fabric until the very end. And I'd say that it's pretty, it gets confusing very often. We've definitely like reversed panels before. Um, so yeah, there's breaking it up into pieces, there's labeling it, then there's cutting it. And then depending on how we're joining the panels, whether it be welding or sewing, that's a whole other process of just keeping everything organized, <laughs> but yeah, we do it all. So it, it's sort of, it, it's nice in a way that we, we can get feedback from the very end of a process and for the next one to sort of put it into the beginning. Like if we didn't label a particular part in one project, we're like, Oh, it would have been really useful if we had done that. <laughs> so I think it, it, it helps to work on a team in that respect, just sort of always pushing forward. What's the next iteration that you're currently working on then? Um, we have a few projects. Uh, one we're working on sort of a, we, we, we've been calling it the multi-dome, which sounds very boring, but I think one of the biggest requests we get from clients is we, they want a weatherproof space that can hold a lot of people and withstand a lot of wind. So we're kind of taking a stab at our using the skills that we have right now and just at making the strongest, most durable kind of event space that we can create. So that's, it's, that's something we're working on right now. And it's, it's kind of unique in the sense that instead of just being a continuous air structure where you go inside the pressurized space, it's sort of a air beam structure so that all the air is kind of in the wall of the inflatable. And that way we can build up higher pressures like a bicycle tire or something like that and kind of create a spanning shape that you don't necessarily need an airlock to go inside of. So, uh, it'll be more, uh, multifunctional in that sense, because mm -hmm. with a lot of our other large spaces, you actually enter 
the space that we're filling with fan, with air constantly with fans. In this example, we're, it's just going to be filling the wall and you won't need to go through any zippers or flaps. Hmm. Yeah. So that's one project we're working on. We're also working on a giant spiky sea anemone <laughs> that could sort of sway in the wind. So very two different two different main projects right now, but wow. we kind of like to balance the high design and the more playful projects. Is the sea anemone is that is that also interactive or is that more of a um, like a more really a sculptural object? Um, I'd say both. Uh, it, it's been an idea we've wanted to make for a really long time. We've sort of had it on our our pin board, and it it kind of plays with the properties of inflatables. Where you know if you if you have a cone out in the wind, it's going to want to bend at its tip first because there's there's the least amount of air in it. So we kind of got this idea that we wanted to create hundreds of these cones on an inflatable, and it would kind of act like hair. <laughs> like if you see hair blowing in the wind, but, um, so in the, in that sense, it's interactive with its environment, but I think just at the scale and the number we're imagining, I think it would be a sculpt. It, it's just going to be a sculptural piece. Yeah. I think I'm completely wrongly picturing it as like those things that they have at the car lots where it's the waving, like skinny guy. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, hundreds oh, of yeah, those. No. It's it's <laughs> like that, but imagine hundreds of those. And instead of cylinders, they're cones. Whoa. And then they're all, yeah, they're all blown in the wind. Whoa. You got it. <laughs> but that. like 300 of those. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Is that a commission or is it is it one of those situations where you're just making it for your own study or for your own personal? Um, so that is, I'd call it a commission. We're making it for the Shelburne Museum up in Vermont. And that that's, that's one of our favorite types of projects where a museum will approach us and sort of have the space and time for a piece, but, and just give us complete control over what we want to make. So I think that's those are those are projects that we kind of isolate and block out time for. And the first project, the multi dome, is actually that's a self funded. That's like one of our first self funded projects where we're just carving out time because we know people will want this if we build it. So one's a commission, one's sort of a self driven. So is the museum acquiring the piece and as part of their uh, permanent collection? No, it's it's going up. They're having a sort of outdoor pop up inflatable themed sort of outdoor show in the summer um and it's going to be up for i think two months but i need to i need to check on that but yeah so they're not acquiring it but they're sort of providing the space to show it for a set amount of time are people starting to collect your work um i'd say that's a that's a hard i'd say our work is is kind of hard to collect like we we've made during the pandemic like when you know no one wanted to make a public event or anything, which is mostly where we get our income. We, we tried our hands at making smaller scale product. Like we made pillows, we were making hats um, and small <laughs> sculptures. So in, in that sense, it's, I mean, it's not, it's sort of like a models of our work or like other, you know, product offshoots of our work. So, but I'd say on the larger scale inflatable front, um, no one's really come come up to us and be like we want to buy this uh, <laughs> for our collection yet i i hope that happens one day but partly that's because they are like they're alive right there's a lot of maintenance in actually putting it up like i mean when we have it you also have to come and there's the 
whatever. You have to like make sure it's plumped up to the right amount and whatever. You're just like maintenance tending. Yeah. You got to be a bold collector to decide to take on, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, inflatables aren't known for their their durability. And I think most of collecting and art is sort of, I'm going to have this in my room forever. <laughs> I don't know. That's like the ethos around it. But yeah, the, the inflatables are just meant to kind of pop up for a small amount of time and, you know, pop back down and go somewhere else. So maybe that's, that's, that's where they'll stay. That sounds really cool. Well, it's super fun talking to you. Is there any, what else, what else do you want people to know about you? What that doesn't come out in your work? I mean, I, I think something that I guess I would like people to know is, is just like the, the scope that that we we do everything from like designing to fabricating to installing it, and I think in you know in a weird way sometimes that acts as like a, a detriment where like we'll have to people will see these things as these rentable like pop up pieces, but I don't know I, I I just say that more in the sense that like I think often they'll see see what we make maybe from the perspective of oh they just designed that someone else made it, but I think. If I were to say, hey, world, we, we also sewed that whole thing together and it happened with a small team of people in, in Rhode Island. <laughs> I think that's one thing I would say. But yeah. <laughs> Why is there so many creative, wonderful things coming out of Rhode Island and Providence in general? Where half the people we talk to that of work that we're interested in is coming out of there. <laughs> well, I'd say it's still fairly cheap. The train station being finished is, is going to make that a little bit uh, harder in the future. Certainly when we graduated, it was really easy to find warehouse spaces and large amounts of studio space for very cheap. You have, you know, proximity of Brown and RISD, but I think just in general, the community in Providence is, it's not very, I, I would say it's kind of laid back. It's it's not trying to be like, Hey world, this is, this is Providence. There's a lot of creative people here, but it's not very outspoken in that. Um, I don't know. I, it's hard to it's hard to put a finger on on why Providence is is a hotbed, but I'd say those are a few. It's it's easy to find a lot of nice space, and there's a good community, and it's close to the beach, where you can yeah. <laughs> I guess Boston is too. So yeah, but it doesn't have any of the it doesn't have most of the things you just mentioned. So maybe that, maybe that's why most of my creative friends have moved to Providence or or north. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean we've almost been here uh 10 years and i and matt and i went to school here so i guess add forward to that yeah it's it's funny i always it's like i always feel like i'm gonna be stressed by how small providence is and like or relatively small to boston and new york but at the end of the day it just provides a nice comfortable space <laughs> and that's all i really need <laughs> it also i mean it has access to all yeah you can get elsewhere quickly too if you really need to i don't know providence seems like a great great base yeah it's it's for us it's 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 a good location because we we can we usually drive we do a lot of installation from new york and boston and if you have to go longer it's you know it's not going to be any different than if we're in new york or philadelphia <laughs> but it, it's it's convenient i like new england as do we well what i have one last question what is there any so inflatables is is taking over your life for the past 10 years the next 10 years are there any other like methods or materials or other creative ventures that you're you're looking forward to freeing up some time to explore 
Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, exciting possibilities. I think in general, we've kind of kept to using fabrics that are on the market and we kind of take those fabrics and we cut them up. Um, but we're also really interested in, in sort of getting into the production of, of textiles. I mentioned we have an artist, Stavely Kuzminoff, working with us who studied textiles and she does a lot of amazing knitting. Um, and we're trying to find ways of using knitting and inflatables mm. because knitting is really interesting in the sense that you, there's no cutoff of knitting. If you're making a panel, you're taking one piece of yarn and knitting it into that shape. So afterwards, if you have like a panel, you need to stitch to the next one. There's no, you know, excess material. So it's, it's a truly additive form of textile and all textiles from the ground up are additive processes. Um, so we're really interested in, in sort of exploring how, you know, getting into the realm of making custom textiles for inflatables could expand the field. We're also really interested in living things like we were looking at trying to cultivate some mycelium like mushrooms on using fabrics as sort of a substrate. So mm. there's a lot of really cool experimental things we were really interested in and want to keep going with. But typically I think those will, it'll take a while for those to be able to become, you know, public installations where, cause everything's that's experimental. People don't really want to front money for, <laughs> but in our studio, it will be alive at least. Wow. Are you talking yeah. about with real organic material? Like, yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of companies coming out. Like, um, I know, I think Ecovative and Mycoworks are two companies that are starting to make sheets of mycelium, like <laughs> almost like leather. Oh, mushroom wow. leather. And yeah. Pure, I've seen sneakers made out yeah. of those. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think wow. there's there's precedent for like scale natural products that I think have a huge potential in changing how we work anyway. I think we're always looking for ways to make things more sustainable. I mean, re we we relatively, you know, are only making one-offs, so it's not too detrimental, but the pieces we make do utilize sort of polymers that aren't the best for the environment. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're we're sort of interested in how these new materials could be incorporated into our practice moving <laughs> forward, but there's no set deadline on, on those, but it's exciting to see. Yeah. That's super. That's interesting. The forefront of material research, new house. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next time we'll, we'll make something that actually goes into this space. I think the project <laughs> we did for NASA was very terrestrial. So <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be world. adapted to into a space suit from, and uh, I think, I don't know. I think you, that seems like a really great connection. I think you guys have a lot to teach NASA. Don't <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. NASA has, and their soft goods department are quite high tier textiles people. Well, um, is that what it's we called? Have, we have a lot of respect. Soft goods. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. Any yeah. space suit, or if you look at that, how, how those space suits are made, it's, it has like layers upon layers of different yeah. materials and functions and sort of, I don't know, I think we have the utmost respect for, for what goes into <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if they want to make big stuff, maybe we could help them out one day. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's cool. Well, super good luck. I don't know. Hope we see you at the next book fair. Uh, yeah, us too. I hope I was understandable. I know I, I usually go all, all over the place when I... Talk about inflatables. 
Oh, we love your enthusiasm. It's and it, I mean, just have had so much fun with your products too. So it's super fun to get to talk to you. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, it's been incredible to learn about your your methodology and just just understand how you're able your path and what you're inspired by and how you create because it's it's really uh it's really amazing. Yeah, I I hope I hope to see you guys at the book fair next time. Yeah, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's like a different world than what you're usually talking about. Or I don't know the much of the other guests you have on, but is it mostly to do with um, sort of graphic design work or is it all over the place? Just as a question for you guys, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's all, all over, over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Different creative practices is the the unifying form. And you're the first one who works in sculpture that crosses over okay. into public space, that crosses over into navigating just commerce, I guess, uh, with sculpture. Yeah, it's it's tricky. It's, it's, it's even hard for us to sort of talk about it sometimes because you just wear different hats. Like sometimes we'll talk to people who are only interested in the commerce side. But yeah. Thanks for providing a platform for us to talk openly about it. Yeah, you're kind of just one of a kind. You're a trailblazer in what you do because no one else does this. So it's, it's, that's why it's kind of hard to talk about it because there's no analog. But just those yeah. places where like craft and technology, I mean, lots of intersections here that are really interesting to get to look deeper into and hear your perspective on. Well, thanks, Augie, for joining us. Um, yeah. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you guys. 